once you've found those frameworks, and the, the cool thing is, the really cool thing is that um, because those frameworks are text, you can share them with other people and learn from them. So if you want to learn some reggae, find someone who's coded up a reggae piece, and you can start to see those structures and start to understand it. Hey everyone, and welcome to Conversations with Bacon. It's great to have you here. I hope you are all safe and well wherever you may be listening to this. As a quick reminder, People Powered, how communities can supercharge your business brand and teams is out right now. Go and give it a read if you haven't checked it out. If you have checked it out, read it again. All right, so today I'm absolutely thrilled to bring on Sam Aaron. How are you doing, Sam? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, it's great to have you on. This is going to be a little bit different. You know, you know the last few shows we've had coaches and marketing people and various other people but today we're going to be talking about music and programming and how it all comes together in this beautiful creative bubble okay but let me first of all get into the into the rap sheet um you've got a really interesting background you know you you studied um software engineering at newcastle university uh you went on to do a phd in computer science so i think you know we're assuming you're a pretty smart dude at this point. No, I would say that PhD is more about being able to finish something than being smart. <laughs> That's a good point. I got tempted down the avenue of potentially doing a PhD, and then I realized, what are you thinking, Jono? You got mainly C's at school. There's no way you can ever do that. People peak at different ages. You don't, I mean, you can you not do so well at school and then find your uh, interest later in life. You don't have to. That's a good point. That's a good consistent point. Consistent all the way through. Yeah, I'm not sure if I've ever peaked. I'm not sure if I'm going to peak. That's I'm good. Sure I'm sure you will. Yes. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> so you're an IT consultant uh, as well at, uh, at Newcastle. Um, you're a technical research consultant. Yeah. You have to make some money when, when you run out of your funds with PhD. So I, uh, I worked with the company. <laughs> I found exactly. that really hard, actually, trying to do two things at once. I ended up not being able to do that. So I had to essentially uh, drop my job and focus on the PhD just to finish and then move right. it back onto into industry. Yeah. Makes uh, no, absolutely makes sense. Um, you were also uh, you you were at university, the, the University of Cambridge, obviously a very well respected university. You're a research associate, you're a postdoc researcher. Um, but these days, I think what many people know you for, who are familiar with your work, is Sonic Pi. So why don't we start at the beginning? Because this is really freaking cool. Um, tell us what Sonic Pi is and why anyone who's listening to this should listen for the rest of the show, because they're going to, but tell us what. You know, I, I've tried to explain this so many times, and uh, I, it depends really on who I'm talking to, how I might explain it. But in essence, it's a tool that uh, that has its code as its interface. So it's a coding platform. Yeah. Um, but it's a tool that lets you turn that code, that text, those words you write, the special words, into music. Um, and so you can compose your own piece of music by writing the right words. Um, and there's two places you can take this. One is in schools, so you can use it to teach basic programming. And the other place is uh, uh, music performance venues where you can use it as a new kind of future DJ because you can also change the code as it's running. So you can live code, which means you can live compose or live DJ music. So I want to get into that uh, for sure later on because I think the live coding piece and live performances is really interesting. But one of the reasons why I was interested, you know, I think Erica, my wife, introduces, if I remember right. And we That's had, correct, a, yeah. we had, we had a, a really interesting conversation because I'm a musician 
but I'm an old school musician. I play guitars and bass guitars and things like that. Um, I've never written while I'm a, I, I can write code. I've never written code to make music. Um, but I'm familiar with the fact that, you know, there's a huge community out there of people who are programming. Have you ever written any notation down or any like chords sequences or drumming patterns or I've written, I've written tab tablature. So you've coded. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I have formulated music onto paper. Um, <laughs> but I'm just, I'm, my argument is that, that actually any time any composer writes right. down some notation, they're coding. I mean, that's a good point. That's a good point. Although I, it, to, to continue the comparison, it's like you <laughs> writing a best-selling novel and me scribbling something down on the back of a napkin. <laughs> uh, well, so I think that I honestly think that's a really interesting place to actually spend a bit more time to talk about because over my travels, I meet a lot of people who uh, are either interested in learning to program or interested in learning to make music in new ways, and uh, and a lot of I meet a lot of people who offer friction who are very much gatekeepers of their domain and especially if you're you you have a very strong and concrete understanding what a real instrument is then you're probably going to struggle with code as an instrument um but uh and i'm happy to talk about that as well i think that's interesting but i'm what i'm really talking about in this particular point here is that when i meet just normal people normal people everyday people the the standard thing i hear is i am not a musician no there's no way i can do this because i'm not a musician Right, And I think that I I draw a comparison to what you're saying, because I'm imagining what they're actually saying is, I am not a professional musician. And sure, I'm sure that's true. And it's probably never going to be true, just like I'm never going to be a professional sports person. Um, But it doesn't mean there's no value in doing it. And just in the same way, there's no, there's definite value in playing football and kicking a ball around. There's definite value in, in, in dabbling in music. You just don't have to want to be a professional person. So when you say writing on the back of a napkin, I'm actually all up for that. I mean, if, <laughs> if you feel like you're expressing yourself and it's fun, then that's brilliant. It doesn't all have to be kind of Shakespearean quality. Well, and the thing is as well is I think what I find interesting about this is, is you know, my background with me, I mean, I've been playing music since I was 11. Uh, I've been playing in bands since I was 16. And I think I'm a decent musician, but what I don't think I'm very good at is is transcription and articulating that music in a form that other people can can necessarily necessarily play. So, for example, I can't read music. I mean, I know the the I know how to read music, but I can't practically do it. But what I think is so interesting about what you're doing with Sonic Pi is, first of all, is it provides the ability for someone to to um, to really articulate music in a way that can then be uh, shared and hacked on. Like there's, there's the software, like GitHub was amazing, right? Because it, it, it popularized the, the, the rapid sharing of software and collaboration around software and the concept of a pull request and the concept of issues and all those different pieces. And you don't really have that as much in the music world. What happens is someone puts a song out there and someone may do a cover of it, but you don't necessarily get collaboration after the fact around music. It's not like you can go and fork a song and then go and change the song and propose the inclusion back to the original musician. You can technically do it, but there's not really a framework for doing that. So what I love about this is that there's a couple of things. One is that it changes the dynamic of creative options when it comes to music, is that a song could conceivably evolve like a piece of software evolves over time, which I think is quite interesting. But then what I find fascinating is when I was growing up, I always associated computing as a logical 
a logical thing and that's got its own level of attraction and interest and the music is this fundamentally creative thing that is you know operates with a very different part of your brain but the amount of people i know who work in tech who are also musicians is remarkable <laughs> it's very common it's very common yes but um but what you're doing is you're essentially creating the ability for people to define to to be creative in it's bridging those two worlds together which i think is fascinating you know but my main question is how is this different because a lot of people who will listen to this who are musicians will be familiar with midi and people programming midi and playing keyboards and and saving those you know their those performances and then tweaking those performances in something like pro tools or cubase or whatever but this is different right this is writing code why don't you share with us what are the primary what's the primary impact of code in creating music like what can you do with code that you can't do with MIDI or whatever else yeah so i mean I, I could spend hours answering that so i'll try and be brief i mean i think it's important to mention at this point straight away that this isn't new and that right. ada right. lovelace for example back when she was working with charles babbage on the difference engine she was imagining what these computational engines might do these big massive mechanical gears and levers and pulleys that were were basically doing uh, complex maths calculations and yeah. she was imagining these things making music of her dreams so i think this is a, it's not it's not a new thing and uh in the 50s well, so almost 100 years ago now um people were using the, the big business computers like one computer per city making them play uh, nursery rhymes so people right. have been pushing these boundaries for, for a very long time right um i think your uh comparison of music and software uh is interesting uh and it really i think to be really truly understood in terms of the benefit of, of software with, with something like Git is that, and GitHub, well, GitHub obviously is based on Git. And Git is just a tool for, for software engineers to manage their software so they can make two comparisons between two pieces of code and see what the differences are. And that only works because of a tool called Diff. And Diff it works because you've got two pieces of text. And if you've got two pieces of text, you can compare them, whether they're phrases from a book or pieces of code. And actually, because we've got this very common format, which is text, we can, uh, and as long as your code can be converted to text and source code, by and large, uh, for most languages is text, then you can use this diff tool to do comparisons and you can use Git and then you can use GitHub. And so uh, what I'm doing with code is, is just basically uh, allowing us to use text as a way to describe music. Now, obviously, that's not new. But what I'm trying to do is trying to find a way for it to describe lots of different kinds of music and different aspects of music. So one aspect is to straight away take Western notation, which is pitch and time, um, and to convert that to text. And then another aspect is to take studio functionality, like effects, like reverbs and distortions, like a guitarist might use, and convert those to text. And then topologies of those, organizations of those, like a studio might wire up a particular kind of audio pathway for, for one kind of track or style of music, that again is text. So at any of these levels, from composing a melody in a bass line to organizing the studio rack to uh, any combination of all of those things, um, and obviously including uh, dealing with internal and external events. So uh, for example, MIDI is a really good one because it's everywhere. And so you can feed MIDI into Sonic Pi live and you can work with those things. And you can also yep. export live MIDI out. And all of this happens through the medium of text, which means that we have the ability to use tools like GitHub to, to version control, to track changes, to collaborate in, in a really distributed fashion. But we also, that, 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 if we think about that for a moment, you get tons of amazing benefits. Uh, and 
I think the reason why we still study um, uh, Tchaikovsky and Bach and Beethoven and all those old uh, white composers is because we have a notation for them. And that notation has allowed us to reproduce and uh, uh, re- uh, re-engineer and understand and break apart and, and study those works. And we do not have a notation for Aphex Twin. Yeah, we don't have a notation for uh, any of the, the albums which have heavy, heavy studio aspects, where uh, the person taped a particular microphone in a particular way to the speaker set, and you know, and the acoustics of the room were very special, or they they did that recording on the roof of the building, or whatever whatever they did. Those things are critical for uh, the composition, and, and so with code, we we allow, allows us to essentially encapsulate more of the composition into the work as text. I think what's so fascinating about this as well, it reminds me a little bit of what's going on with augmented reality. So for people who are listening to this who don't know what that is, you've probably seen it. It's where you can use your phone to, it turns the camera on in your phone, and then there's there's 3D models, virtual models, inside of the view, and it looks like it's in the same room as you. And what's interesting, a lot of the companies who are building AR platforms, essentially what they're trying to do is to measure the world, such as the room that they're in, convert it into a digital model that you can play with and then you can you can create games and experiences and things like that and it almost seems like what you're doing here sam significantly with sonic pipe is is essentially creating an api for musical creativity which is not just how you make notes play and and velocity and tonality and all that kind of stuff but also like you said the effects and other things it's like an api for 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 the creative experience Totally. And you can build your own API as well because it's a programming language. Right. You can make your own functions, which can do a variety of different things that are specific to you. So if you think of like a Western notation, if you think of like Bach or something, you might see a run of notes and a musicologist can look at that run of notes and go, ah, that's the scale of E minor with this note missing. And and so therefore the composer must have been thinking about E, like this structure in their heads, which then they had to render down in the same way that c- code compiles from text to sort of binary format that the machines can understand. The notation is kind of like a notation for the uh, the performer to be able to read and to be able to digest quickly. And so uh, in the composer's head, there's going to be a ton of abstract sort of structures which are lost in that when they write with their pen uh, those dots on those lines. And I think code actually allows you to not just work with the API, as you describe it, that exists, but also create your own API, which could be for your style of music, or you could even imagine creating an API per piece of music you're making. Mm, um, and so, mm. Or you may not do that at all. You're really free to work at the sort of the language abstraction level that, that's, that's appropriate for you. You know, there's so, there's so many things I want to talk to you about because just co- making the comparison between um, – one thing I want to get to in a little bit is – is is feel with music because i think so much of music is is feel and it's emotion and you know as any producer will tell anybody any music producer if music is too perfectly on time or if it's too perfectly produced it sounds fake um and i want to get to that in a second uh, is is what that level of feel um how that feel is in, is introduced into into programming but before we get there one of the things that i find so fascinating about this as well is that if there's one thing we've learned about software engineering over the years is is people have designed patterns and you know even going back to I forget what were the old books the software pattern books that came out Gang like, of Four right the Gang of Four yeah, yeah. Um, 
and you know we, we've seen design patterns forming and anti-patterns that form and arguably one of the things that's been interesting but that companies like github and other engineering companies are, are working on is being able to not just manage the the code and the collaboration around code but also to see the structure and common patterns that are represented in in those structures so it seems conceivable therefore that you know you you mentioned earlier on about the notation of music like you can go and get you can go and get the sheet music for an Iron Maiden song, right? And you can play it. You can learn how to play it. But what that sheet music doesn't tell you is the thought process, the logic, the patterns. Um, you've got to go much deeper and you've got to go out of band to do that. So do you think that there's going to be a future here where people will be sharing essentially common patterns of music? Like it's 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 well and widely known that, you know, the a small number of people write many of the major hits, Britney Spears, Taylor Swift, all of those kinds of songs. And those songs have a very consistent structure to them, right? They have short intros. They're all about three minutes long. They're, they're very, very, they're very formulaic in nature, yeah. but, and it's easy for us to be snooty about that, but there's formulaic principles in power metal, in dance, in rave music, in other areas as well. But it seems like when you're programming music, there's an opportunity to, scan music and find those patterns do you think that's going to happen in the future i mean that's already happening uh, and has wow. happened already um especially in academia um people have been studying these things for many years and finding ways to actually uh, uh represent these things algorithmically uh and to generate similar kinds of works uh, and a lot of it's typically uh looking at classical music how do i make an uh, how do i make a thing which auto generates bach but there's also a ton of uh, uh, companies and, and startups working on making background music that uh, doesn't have any uh, copyright issues, for example, to auto-generating those things. So, yeah, I think that that stuff is is very much uh, uh, there and, and exists already. But from Sonic Pi's perspective, what I think is interesting is is finding those patterns. And, and another way to describe that might be like a framework. Like you might mm. take something like Ruby on Rails, which was uh, a, a People finding a bunch of patterns in the way the web uh, software was built and yep. making some of those aspects easier, um, uh, and so so you didn't have to do them again. And so mm. I think that that's probably similar to you can imagine a similar kind of frameworks for music, like a framework for reggae or a framework yep. for drum and bass. And yeah. I don't think that's a thing which is going to produce reggae exactly on time and sounding inaccurate. But it's more like these are the sort of the core ingredients. Like if I was going to make a curry. I know what kinds of ingredients I'm going to use, but the exact amounts will be different every time and, and depending on what style. And that's where the artistry is, right? Is understanding yeah. the balance of those different pieces. Yeah. So I, I think that the, once you've found those frameworks, and the, the cool thing is, the really cool thing is that um, because those frameworks are text, you can share them with other people and learn from them. So if you want to learn some reggae, find someone who's coded up a reggae piece and you can start to see those structures and start to understand it. And And to me... That's the most beautiful aspect of of creating a system that can work in a wide variety of genres uh, is that you can take ideas from one and bring them to another very easily. And I can learn about different styles of music simply by working in the same format, being able to read yeah. the same kind of code. So I think that those frameworks are, are not just really interesting or, or APIs or toolkits or whatever you want to call them for you being able to create a, style, a piece of music in a certain style or learn of aspects of the style. I think it's also really important for the, the sharing and education uh, for us to teach each other. Well, and that seems to me the really one of the most exciting elements of this. Like, and, and again, I'm I'm drawing comparisons to my own my own life making music. Is so much of the thrill 
of making music is is hearing influences in different places where you love music and then bring, bringing those pieces together in your own music, right? Um, so, for example, with the music that I'm writing right now with my project Baron Carter, um, I love heavy metal and I like really... It sounds I wicked, like, by the way. I listened to, listen to some of the tracks. Oh, cheers. Really Thank you. It. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. And I like kind of like heavy, grinding, detuned metal, but really strong, powerful melody um, and and very vocally led and part of the reason for that is I love bands like I love bands like Iron Maiden, but I also like Cannibal Corpse and I like Muse. There's like a real an ACDC. Like the drums are very simple in Baron Carter, inspired by ACDC because it's just a driving beat. And and I think the good news here is that if you're really into music and you listen to music a huge and I listen to music when I'm not on phone calls, I'm listening to music all day. Um, then I think you, your music gets rewarded by the more music you listen to. Right. But the problem with that is it creates a inequality, I think, for musicians is that there's a lot of people like if you're working in a factory and you can't be listening to music all day, you're at a you, you, you're at a disadvantage because you don't have an opportunity to be subconsciously your brain's pattern matching all of those different melodies and principles that are implied in the, that are in those songs. And therefore, it can make it more difficult for you to potentially, you know, bring them together into your own music not because you haven't got the talent just because you haven't had as much exposure to music because you've you've got a job that doesn't enable that and what i think is fascinating about this is arguably seeing those patterns understanding those patterns and being able to break them down into the lego bricks that they are should be much easier arguably i mean it should arguably make music and great music more accessible to people shouldn't it I, I think so. And I think, I mean, I have a, a really good friend um, who used to live um, where I used to live in Amsterdam and then in London, Jeff Rose. Mm. And we used to be able to meet in the pub and just talk nonstop uh, about programming. And the bandwidth of that conversation was ridiculous. I don't, yeah. anyone listening would not understand a word we were saying. And it was just like <laughs> gobbledygook, gobbledygook really fast. But it was, it felt really nice to have a really high bandwidth exchange with somebody yeah, who I love it. was clearly resonating. We were all, had the same uh, knowledge base and backgrounds. And that was, really nice. And I think the cool thing about Sonic Pi is that uh, when you find someone else who understands uh, the basic structures of the code, you can sit with them and you can share musical ideas in, in a similar kind of way. And to me, that's the cool thing is that that ability to, to communicate in a very structured, precise, where necessary, and loose where necessary way about musical concepts, I think is, is a really powerful thing. Yeah. Well, and, and um, you know, Again, without taking too many comparisons to what's happened with GitHub and other companies like that, you know, I remember when I started learning software engineering when I was, you know, 13 and going to night school to learn C++, um, you learned from books and you had to pull information out of books. Like, do you remember, Sam, I'm sure you had the, when you were growing up, do you remember you go to a computer shop and you buy those books with just filled with- I've got with, shelves of them, yeah. I've actually, yeah. I've, got, I've got shelves of them in other people's offices that I still haven't picked up. <laughs> and you'd sit <laughs> there and like grandma would have a go at typing some of it in for a couple of hours so you get a break. And you type all of this code in, but it, it was very repetitive in nature. And I think now like being able to fork a repo and play with it, or yeah. you know, people do this for onboarding for new software, frameworks right is that you can go and get some sample code and play with it the idea of doing that with music i think is so is so cool um and it, it's it's got to help people get started one i'm going to share my ignorance here and um I'm, I'm, I'm i'm hoping that you can put me right so one of the reasons why i personally have not 
particularly engage with tools like Sonic Pi is because I'm not really into electronic music. Um, like I like some artists who do like I love Daft Punk. I love Elements of Muse. They've got some electronic music in there. C two C like turntablists and, and people like that. But I'm not. I don't. I I really like kind of rock and, and big rock and roll music and and metal and things like that. Um, my assumption here is that Sonic Pi is primarily useful and of interest to people who are creating electronic music. Like people who are listening to this won't be able to see that we're talking to each other on a video call and Sam has got behind him just a raft of like what looks like synthesizers and keyboards and all kinds of stuff. Um, that doesn't really have a placement in my world with my music. It's guitars and drums and analog instruments par- primarily. But do you see Sonic Pi or either can it today be used for um, more analog styles like rock music and metal and things like that? And if not, do you think we can get there? Because People have tried to emulate that with keyboards, and it always sounds a bit off. There's an inc- uncanny valley with, you know, a, for example, a, a guitar sound on a keyboard. It just doesn't sound quite right. But do you think we could get to a point where you could take one of my songs in Baron Carter and it could be coded in Sonic Pi and it wouldn't sound any different? That's a very good question. I mean, I hope the answer is yes. Uh, mm. But I think that uh, it's important to just break it apart very quickly um, and into two parts. One is that. Everything I've said so far really is about vision and where I, I intend to take these things. And that's very different from where we are now. So yep. right now, because it's an open source project, it's, it's very small relative to, I mean, there's not like a big commercial thing with a huge sort of teams working on it, like GitHub. Um, you, you're therefore limited on what you can achieve. So it's not like Ableton, for example. Um, and currently the, and so the resonances, the things it does particularly well, fit into the kind of technology that was available in the mid 80s, early 90s, which lend, and because of the repetition, uh, it's an inherited loops, which is a very simple data structure, uh, not data structure, <laughs> algorithmic, algorithmic concept, um, depending on how to implement it. Uh, then those things also lend themselves to dance music because it's very repetitive uh, and very simple structures. So the sweet spot in terms of simplicity and the technology is electronic dance music right now. Um, and so that's probably why you hear when you listen when you Google Sonic Pi, you'll hear a lot of that kind of stuff because it's just easy to make that kind of stuff, and it's and it's makes it's, sense. Yeah, it's within its yeah, that makes sense. Um, but it's really important to point out sort of the vision, and uh, the vision is that we have a very flexible timing model, and that timing model can uh, work in a, in a variety of different ways. It does not have to be regular. You can you have extreme precision in terms of time. Um, mm. And in fact, you can have multiple actors playing at the same time and they can have their own BPMs or their own sense of time and they don't have to match or do match. And so you, you, you're very flexible in, in terms of time. And I, that's something that uh, I've written academic papers about. It's the part of the system which I'm uh, most proud of in terms of, of, of what the expressivity is also with the constraints mm. of making it simple enough for 10-year-old kids. That's been a, yeah. a, a challenge. Which is um, an interesting, that's an interesting balance in itself, right? I'd like to talk to yeah. you about that a little bit later on, but carry on. So that swings around. So like I'm saying, the vision is yes to your, your question. I would love to be able to code some really high fidelity quality music. Uh, to get there, we have to work with the old technology and bring it forwards. And um, where we are now is very simple, 1980s dance music. But of course, things evolve and, and they move forwards. To yeah. answer your question about analog, well... I think, therefore, you need to start thinking about Sonic Pi as an instrument, not as a, a thing which is going to replace music. Mm. It's definitely not. Mm. Um, and the, the notation of Sonic Pi is actually a really flexible and powerful notation, and I imagine that can have a really wide set of use cases. But the app itself, the system, 
it can really just be seen as a musical instrument. And therefore, it's, it should not be replacing the guitar. It should not be replacing the drums. It shouldn't be replacing the violin. Um, I'm putting zero effort into trying to replicate those things and, and to make similar versions. I mean, there's tons of companies doing exactly that, making beautiful, uh, high-quality violins. And, and that's a whole research project with many PhDs and many careers in itself, just doing that one instrument. Um, but I, I can imagine a future where you're able to uh, harness some kind of constraint logics or some very basic AIs, which can uh, work with certain kinds of sounds within constraints, which are the kind of timbral constraints or rhythmic constraints or melodic constraints. And those kinds of things would be, as we were referring to earlier, which would be the kind of frameworks for reggae or the frameworks for, for, for death metal. And then for you to then essentially just make, put some tweaks and tunes, which are the things which are your unique part on top of that. Um, uh, which is makes the composition or, or your lyrics or, or whatever. Um, so I think I think that I just think, think, but but in terms of analog as well, which is really important to point out, we already work with with live audio. So with your guitar right now, you can plug it into a sound card, turn on Sonic Pi, and in three lines of code, you can have a reverb pedal. Right. And another line of code, you can have reverb and distortion. Another line of code, you can have reverb, distortion, and echo. You can change the order of those things. Uh, and you can actually change the order of the topology. I mean, you must have either got yourself or worked with musicians who have got a massive rack of guitar oh, effects yeah. pedals. Yes. And they're, yeah. they're all fiddly, and the power things never quite work. Oh, they're a pain in the back. Yeah. And then uh, it's a really good order of your sound effects for a certain kind of track. But if you want a, a different order, you've got to unplug them and replug them and Velcro's coming everywhere. And it's so <laughs> it's a, the practicality concern of those things. Whereas with code, you can have different topologies of those effects pedals and you can, with one line of code, just swap them in and swap them out. So you can cha change whole effects chains on any part of your audio uh, with a single action. Um, and so that, therefore already means that Sonic Pi can be useful for you as a live studio. So if you can't afford a hundred bucks per guitar effects pedal, and maybe you want like eight of them, Sonic Pi is free. And each of those lines of code is also free. And you can keep adding more effects until your CPU starts to, to suffer from uh, not being able to, to uh, deal, deal with all the compute load. Yeah. Um, so you, you yeah, can already work with analog. You can work with electric violins. You can work with microphones. You can you can make your own loopers. You can code your own uh, effects racks uh, right now. And also you can use MIDI to drive external analog synthesizers and Eurorack modules. Mm. So you can you can use the, um, the the sort of the computational timing and uh, the uh, the logic as a way of just just generating triggers, which then uh, will then make the electric, or so the analog sounds come into life. Uh, and so that actually, I think is a really powerful seeing Sonic Pi as a very flexible sequencer. It's what's so exciting about this as well, just as you were talking, I was just thinking about this, is this, just staying on the analog, mu analog style music. I don't have a good way of describing it, but basically the non-electronic music, like rock and metal and jazz and, and things like that. Um, what's interesting is that there's lots of work going on in different places that is all supporting um, an analog sound in a digital setting, right? So for example, I use um, a product called an AxeFX3. It's from a company called Fractal Audio Systems. And they essentially, it's a computer and a rack mount unit, and you can plug your guitar in and it's and what they've done is they've emulated hundreds of guitar amps and hundreds of of, of speakers, right? Uh, and there's other companies. There's Kemper, there's Helix, uh, Line Six, and Helix, and whatever else. And 
the big distinguishing factor for me as a musician is the sound of a Marshall amp. Like a Marshall amp sounds more like a Marshall amp the louder it gets. So when you're playing <laughs> in, 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 in like my office, for example, I can't have a Marshall amp on 10. It's going to annoy the neighbors and it's going to blow my hearing out. So <clears throat> they've been able to model all of those gain characteristics. And it's basically indistinguishable. In A-B testing, you cannot tell the difference between the amps and an Axe FX and the analog world. Um, it's, in it's incredible. So what's interesting is there's that kind of research and work going on in modeling an amplifier, for example. But then to your point earlier, Sam, there's work going on with, for example, um, East-West with like um, orchestral um, sounds and packs and e emulating the, the small like differences in how violins are played and cellos and woodwind instruments and all these different pieces. So with a keyboard, you can make an orchestra and it sounds like an actual orchestra. Like m most Hollywood music today, f to my knowledge, is done on keyboard. It's not done with real musicians in a studio. And you can't really tell the difference. Like the uncanny valley has been crossed in those two areas. So what seems to be interesting, I think, is that the challenge with a lot of this stuff is the formulation of the music is generally done with MIDI. And MIDI is quite limiting in some ways um, and, and a bit of a pain to deal with um, in, in how you create it because uh, it's primarily created with keyboards and with people clicking on MIDI grids. But arguably, if Sonic Pi can interface with, let's say, the orchestral sound set, and it's not necessarily done through MIDI, it's done through a greater level of granularity. Yeah. So that performance can be can be programmed. Arguably, totally. should... and switching your guitar effects rack as well and using that Marshall amp and having that be exactly. something that you can program and switch. I think that, that these are really powerful. I, I'm, I'm not, I don't think Sonic Pi is, is, should ever try and do all of these things, but it should yeah. work with these existing systems. But it's this, it's this, it, so it becomes like to your point, it's, it's the source code, right? It's 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 the source code that drives other th that can drive other things, and it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility to me that, for example, Sonic Pi could generate like. Like we're really going down the rabbit hole with music, so people aren't into music won't be getting some of this stuff. But for example, one of the things that's very common in recording guitars, you will know this, Sam, is that is that you record a dry track, which is just the just the audio coming from your guitar without any amplifiers or anything. So if you need to reamp it, you can just put that through the amp again, and you can recreate the, the guitar sound. Arguably, Sonic Pi could create that dry sound. Um, that then gets shoved into the amplifier, or it could create those differences in tonality. It seems like you could arguably create a Baron Carter song and it sound entirely like it and it'd be programmed and it'd be developed with the Sonic Pi to mine. And Tyler, do you mean you could imagine using Sonic Pi not just to generate that dry sound, but also to, to generate all the control signals to manipulate the yeah. uh, the knobs on the effects uh, panels or the, whatever system you're using live? So, right. And, that, and that, that's one of the things I'm working on now is to, to be able to, to do a sort of performance, uh, stream it live, to hit record, but not actually to record the audio, but to record all the events that are generated and the code mm. which generated it too. So that I can then go and tweak it and say, well, okay, I made that bit too early or that wasn't good enough. Or or even like if I just physically controlled my synthesizers and didn't control them well enough, maybe I can then replay it and do a better control or record the controlling and have those to be automated next time so I can control something else. Yeah. And say like a, a looper person will will lay down a bass track and lay down a melody and then play them back at the same time. You can imagine uh, laying down these things, but live and controlling them and then being able to work with them with code. So I can say, take that 
a set of sort of, I mean, I, I'm, in my head, I'm calling them data riffs, like the kind of riff you make. Oh, yeah, to, yeah. Uh, uh, the, but, um, but by controlling something or pressing some keys at some events, and then be able to then manipulate that data riff by, uh, yeah. in programming terms, passing it through a function, which can make it faster or slower or louder or more chaotic or more error prone or more on time, depending on the kinds of uh, yeah. interactions you can do. And once you've got, if, if you're dealing with raw audio, you're limited to what you can work with with that audio. Exactly. And yep. certainly, and I think one thing we haven't talked about, which I think also really interesting from this perspective is, is visuals. So if you're trying to generate visuals for audio, often you'll try and like get the bassy bits, the middle bits, and the, the high bits, and their, their sort of their strengths, their amplitudes, mm. and use those to sort of drive three aspects of the, of, the, of the visuals. But if you've got a system which can generate a sort of very well-timed events which can trigger sounds, those same events could actually be used to trigger the visuals. So, right. so, so you can actually have the visuals be much more uh, tighter coupled, like a kind of uh, Altecra style uh, mm. with, uh, with, with the audio uh, and yeah. have those things also to be mapped and manipulate with controllers. And uh, so you, you're, you're able to have to work with a sort of a higher fidelity of, of visuals in the same way. I think yeah. This, yeah, these things are all related. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's, it's so interesting. Um, one thing I do want to talk to you a little bit about is, um, and I, and again, I want to get to the live coding piece in a bit, uh, cause it's really interesting. And I'd like to talk about the visuals there, especially for live shows. Sure. Um, but is the role of feel. Um, so there's, there's a, there's a, a, a tool called superior drama that I mentioned earlier on. And for, again, for those people who are listening to this, that are not familiar with it, basically you can create drum loops and drum beats and all of the drum sounds that you hear in superior drummer were recorded in an in a professional studio by an actual drummer where they record the individual hits of the drums and they're programmed with midi but they sound like real drums to to to, to a reasonable extent now they will never reasonably compare to an actual drummer and i went through this experience recently when i put when i wrote step into the plague by with this new project baron carter i'd programmed all the drums and i was planning on putting the drums out there um that were done in superior drummer um and then a bunch of people were like you got to have a real drummer record this so my producer's based in denmark and he had someone who plays in his band pyramaze go into his studio and record the drums uh, and he played them like a normal drummer would and it sounded better and I think part of it is the production and the recording, which is one element. But I think the main thing that was the difference was the feel. Is that again, we're pattern matching machines, and if ever if, if it's the same hit on a drum, on a snare drum, and it sounds exactly the same every time, it doesn't sound right. And so, Superior Drummer, what they've done in Superior Drummer is they've they've kind of got an algorithm that you can switch on that varies the the velocity of the hits. Right. So, because no drummer hits a snare drum the same level of force every single time. So, what they've done is they've said you've got complete digital control, but sometimes you don't want digital precision. You want that element of flubbing and, and, uh, you know, it's inconsistency. What does that mean for Sonic Pi? Like, is there a question? Is there ability? Is there an ability? Because it's kind of like in programming terms, when you want a function to run, you want it to run the same way every time, right? Otherwise, it's a bug. <laughs> but arguably, within Sonic Pi, if you want a musical function or a data riff to operate, you might want it to play a little bit different each time. Yeah, that, so there's two things there, um, timing and uh, determinism, um, mm, producibility. Mm. Um, 
with the timing. Uh, and both actually have a, the same kind of uh, sort of a mirror Im- image in terms of the answer. I'll, I'll see if I can try and find a way to compare those. Yeah. Um, but in terms of timing, uh, you said something about uh, you don't want high precision. Hmm. And um, I actually uh, uh, would disagree with that. I think high precision is absolutely what you want. Um, because with high precision, then you can use that precision or you can not use it. If right. you don't have high precision, then you don't have the opportunity to use it. And if you have a high precision system, you can use that high precision uh, to increase the quality of the, the, the specifics of the timing to, to get that groove of that drummer. Mm. If you don't have high precision, then you can't do that. If everything really has to be on the beat, um, and that's your granularity, then you really can't put things just slightly before or slightly after. The, right. the, the more precision you have, the more you can actually just offset your beat, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And that, that slight less offset oh, I see is, about, is related to your precision. I think you do need high precision in terms of <laughs> well, precision, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> to your point. But I guess it's the slavish adherence to timing. Is, whether, is you, what... yeah, whether you use that precision to put everything on a nice grid on yes, the line. Yes, it's a separate thing. It's, right? it's your choice. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but I mean, and so I think a system that doesn't force that on you, but lets it be your choice, is actually a quite a powerful system. And that's exactly what Sonic Pi is. Um, you choose how long to wait between one event like a kick drum and the next event, the next kick drum or one note to the melody, the next note to melody. And that time is a floating point accuracy. Uh, and the granularity of the timing of that is to do with the window buffer size of your sound card. It's extremely, extremely accurate. Um, yes. And so you're really, yeah, you, you are free to use that timing how you want. Now, the, I think that the, the next question really is, well, well, how would you use that? How would you capture yep. the groove of a drummer? And yeah, what's the interface think, of that in Sonic? I think Pi? that's that's an open question. Um, mm. I certainly don't have that question uh, answer, but I think that the I think that once you've got the ability to create events and have them very well timed, then it's really a matter of creating the, the different kinds of frameworks or APIs on top of that, which would give you access to uh, drummer. Uh, or ACDC style drummer versus uh, an Indian uh, uh, tabla player might have a very different kind of, uh, of groove yes. or repetition. And, and you can, can totally imagine that the API, the language interface you use might be very different if it's an Indian tabla player or an ACDC drummer. And so I think yep. that Sonic Pi definitely can handle both of those cases because it's really just doing the low level details of the very high accuracy timing. Yeah. But And then giving you the tools in terms of the language to be able to write the right level of abstraction to be able to capture and to manipulate in. Because the other thing is like, are you composing the piece or are you working with the piece live? And, and you'll want different affordances of the interface depending on what kind of activities you're going right. to do with the language. Do you think that there's a role on that topic? Do you think that there's a role for intentional imperfection in Sonic Pi? Oh, absolutely, yeah. So in, in Sonic Pi, you can um, any aspect of the code, you can time warp, which allows you to go forwards or backwards in time, right. uh, and then shifts all the events inside that bit of code forwards or backwards by that amount. Um, right. And so that's the way you can sort of bring a whole sort of structure of a song sort of slightly ahead of time or slightly behind time, or you can do that per note, or per sample or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so that thing gives you the, the ability to shift things around and not have things on the grid. Um, but also you can put randomization in there. So right. the timing of that can every time be different. Now this goes back to, I was talking about the mirror thing earlier. We we're talking about the timing precision and, and repeatability and randomization in Sonic mm. Pi. I've actually put 
a huge amount of effort into the precision, as I mentioned before, yeah. but also into the repeatability. So even if you're throwing your dice and uh, you're, you're basing what happens next to the music, depending on if it's a one or a two or a three or a four or an even number or an odd number, or yeah. you're using the dice to drive your music, in Sonic Pi, it will always throw the dice in the same way. Um, right. So you get this idea of, of randomization. Um, musicians or philosophers, <laughs> creative people in general, often tell me this is bad, that, that they want to have uh, endless difference tracks and this repeatability is not good. But I think actually repeatability is the same uh, same thing as the precision. Because if you have a system that you can always reproduce the work, then that means you can actually choose not to do that. That mm, you can mm. choose for it to actually be random because you can say, what is the time of day? And use that to then drive a randomization system. And it's going to be a different time of day every time you press play. And therefore, you, now you've got a, a random system that's going to play something different every time you press play. But that's also part of your composition. You've said, this piece of music depends on the time of the day. And that's an interesting, already like a compositional choice you've made. Um, yeah. Whereas the default is, this piece of music is the same when I play it. So you, it's... It, in terms of mathematics, it's much easier to make a deterministic system non-deterministic than it is to make a non-deterministic system deterministic. Yeah, it's well, a much harder way of going about things. So, I think yeah, I think it's a corollary. I just think it's I think I think it's so fascinating because you know again comparing it to playing the kind of music that I play, you know, it's like the difference between when you're playing a gig live, um, just the level of energy that goes into the playing. Uh, varies in different parts of the show right so like when you have the big moment that you love that you love playing and it's like the that pinnacle of the of the song everybody's just absolutely grinding at that point and the and there's a musicians talk about this all the time like you're feeding off the energy of the audience so there's it seems like one element of this this is what i think is so interesting is is for me the 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 pleasure that i take out of music is it is those imperfections and it is that energy and it's the the way that 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 varies and that changes and this kind of leads us rather neatly onto the live performances piece or the live coding component of this because it seems like one element of this is like in a, in a is that you essentially you can you can you can you can define anything in music right arguably with the sonic pi if sonic pi could do all of the things that you can control all your instruments yeah and all you can control everything and you can say like these musicians in in the sonic pi composition these digital musicians have got different personality traits and different different totally. uh, yeah yeah different, different ideas groups. different grooves different styles like some bassists play with their fingers some bassists play with a pick like um how does that work in a in a in a live setting? Tell us a little bit about the live coding piece and what that looks like for someone who's unfamiliar. Yeah, I mean, again, it's important to talk about where we're talking in two different things. One is like the sort of the big picture of of, of what it is to code music, or what it might be to have a, a coding system that can control all the things. Yeah, I think that's exciting to talk about, and it's also what Sonic Pi currently is, and what of its course, yeah, skill sets are. And uh, at the moment. Um, it's very good at writing uh, strol- small structures of code that you modify quickly and in real time. Um, and so you're ch- making lots of small delta changes to the code yeah. as it's playing. Uh, you can make a big delta change, but often that will require you to either work with pre-existing code you've written, you've just cut and pasted it in, or you have to wait a period of time between changes. 
And that's, again, depending on what style of music you're playing and what the audience is doing and where in the track you are, the audience might be happy to listen to that same thing on repeat for 30 seconds, or it might not be, yes. <laughs> depending on what you're doing. So again, like the, your window of opportunity for what you can type and how quickly you can type is going to dictate the kinds of changes you make. But when we talk about sort of the differences and the grooves, I mean, I think that... Um, you have to start to see uh, live coding systems as an instrument in their own right, and and yeah. uh, uh, and the, the the kind of mistake you might make on stage when you're playing a guitar when you hit the wrong note or your string breaks um, that somehow adds that extra depth into the track to make it sort of do something different. You can mm. totally do that with coding by just writing the wrong code or putting the syntax in the wrong place and right. hitting the run button, and suddenly it does something you didn't expect. Right, um, and so I think that uh, uh, there's the, uh, part of the virtuosity of a, of a live performer, live coder, is being able to uh, anticipate that, uh, see when it happens, and then either quickly make a decision like, "Is this good? Is this is a good mistake, or this is a terrible yeah. mistake? I must fix it immediately." <laughs> and then to be able to have the wherewithal to be able to to modify and make a very quick and rapid change to bring it in the direction you want it to go, and so that ability to be a producer live not just to compose a live and not just to right. perform a live, but to be able to live produce and to be able to constantly have that sort of analytic ear saying, how is this, how is this sounding and where would I like it to go next? And, and to be, do that right. at the same time as, as making this writing the code. And ideally also, um, this is one of the things I've always struggled a lot with and I'm improving in every gig I do, which is to observe because it's so easy to get sucked into the code and to, uh, so it's such an intense experience to live code. So many mm. things happening at once that that's, and so many things which can go wrong. That it's it's quite easy as a human just to get sucked into that, and and just to two hours later, or however long the gig is, you come up and get gasp for air, and like you don't know what's happened. Yeah. And so, but actually, what you're doing is you're performing to people, and really, you want to be able to to to, to see if they're dancing, if they're enjoying themselves, and yeah. Um. So and- to be looking up at the audience at the same time is a, is a critical thing, and to involve their their emotions and their feelings back into what you perceive to back into the code back into oh, the oh i see to that's get interesting that loop going to paint a picture for people who've never seen a live coding performance and i've only seen a little bit so i'm, I'm including myself in that audience do you generally start out with a blank sheet of paper do you do you is and, and is it is it that you're creating a loop and then you're adding more and more things into that loop or how, how does that work? Like, does the, is it very repetitive in nature and you're just, but your each repetition is getting more and more interesting and dynamic and changing. And that's part of the excitement of it. Or does, does the, what you're doing, does it go through changes and is, are there verses, are there choruses, are there bridges as you kind of go in through it to put it in, in, in my term? Yeah. I, I- I mean, I can answer that question and I'm happy to uh, in terms of my process and what yeah. I do as a live coder. But it's also important to point out there's many of us uh, using a whole people, variety yeah. of different systems, all making different styles of music. And so you'll actually have an infinite number of answers to that question, depending on who you ask. And, and I think that's that's a cool thing is the fact yeah. that people making music. Cr- uh, creativity. Yeah. Well, as like a composer where they've actually written thousands and thousands and thousands of lines of code and they press press go and it pl- plays a beautiful piece versus people who are just doing one line at a time and changing that and making sort of like big walls of noise. Yeah. Uh, and then in between uh, where, where I sit into that is to, to work with, uh, basically I'm trying to max out my brain, uh, but not too much so I can keep in control. And then every time my skill level increases, maybe I'll try an extra element in there. And right. so it's like spinning plates. Like you'll start spinning one plate. And once you've managed that, maybe you'll move on to two plates, and right. then maybe three plates. And then, but at some point you can do like six and that's max, like juggling. You can think humans can't juggle more than seven balls or something. That's 
the brain just can't do it. It's like a musical Krypton factor to use a antiquated eighties reference. From the <laughs> so uh, yeah, exactly. So, uh, so yeah, so, so it's about finding that sweet spot between what complexity you're happy to juggle and also your ability to enjoy it. That's mm. something I've also tried my best to do is to learn how to enjoy it rather than it be incredibly stressful, uh, which it was initially. Um, and so, yeah, my approach is to actually work with lots of small, simple loops um, that are always loops that are always working and grid forms. But also, all you need to know is, like, if you look at knitting, for example, you can take some very simple patterns and combine them together. Or spirographs, if you ever played with spirographs. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You can look at a spirograph, which uh, people haven't heard of it at home. It's like a it's like a plastic thing with with like circles, with, with like locks, like gears. And you put your pencil in them and you turn them around and the two things interact because one's smaller than the other. And then the pencil draws a beautiful spiral uh, picture. Now, the interesting thing is like you can't always predict what that spiral is going to look like depending on which th- two uh, wheels you've picked. It's always yep. a bit random every time. So there is a bit of that. But it, what, what's interesting is that the spirals you get are very, very interesting yes. uh, themselves despite the fact that the individual pieces, the ingredients are very simple circles. That's very, uh, that's a great comparison. And yeah. I think that that's the I same that. with, with these live loops. You can make very intricate, very interesting, yeah. non-repeating, uh, all sorts of interesting rhythms with some very simple loops, um, yeah. just playing them at the same time and just letting them do their thing and letting them just interweave and wive in, in the same way a maypole might, the ribbons might cross. I never, I never really thought about the, the fact that, yeah, when you're doing live coding, um like developers often talk about that they get into their flow into their zone right and they're just and it's it's very very difficult when someone interrupts you and you get out of your zone to get back into the zone and it takes time to kind of get back get back into that just literally a person and the problem and the you know and their computer and they're just they're just cranking and i guess that when you're doing a live performance if you're just doing that, it's going to be quite boring for the audience potentially. So there's an element of like, you've got to be a performer and a programmer. How do you get that balance right? Like, how have you? That's an interesting one. I, I yeah, a lot, a lot of other live coders. Um, when I when I when I started doing things, because people are doing this for many years, I often yeah. sort of taken a more sort of office stance and sort of sat there uh, and, and typed the code out and. I think that's just because it's natural as programmers. We do tend sure. to mostly sit down, although yeah. standing desks are like a cool thing these days. Yep. When I was um, when I started to actually make do my own performance practice, I was using an ironing board at the time as my uh, sort of DJ booth. And <laughs> just my is that like your dead mouse kind of thing? You know, like to, dead mouse, the ironing board, mouse top, the ironing board. top technology. Yeah, <laughs> you just basically use what's in the house, you know. And exactly, uh, I had to yeah. set up every night and tear it down because the kids were running around in the daytime. And um, <laughs> But I, I explicitly made a choice to try and be more like an entertainer and a DJ because I'd learned from from even things like doing uh, mountain leadership and leading groups in the mountains that mm. uh, as the leader of a group, the, the group sort of level of dynamics, how much sort of energy or excitement or risks they're prepared to take are usually sort of capped by the leader. Um, yes. And so and yes. in a sort of dance position, uh, a DJ position, the DJ has a quite a, a substantial role in that of driving mm. the energy. Mm. And so to me, I always wanted to try and figure out ways to actually help to drive the energy. Yeah. So standing up was key for me. And yeah. so this is why the ironing board was like the only standing desk I had in the house. Yeah. And then I actually spent quite a considerable period of time, like weeks, listening to, to tracks of music I liked, like some Dead Mouse tracks or some Daft Punk or some Aphex Twin or some Square Pusher, right. listening to them while standing up, 
whilst having my hands on my keyboard, which wasn't plugged in, mm. and dancing. Ah. And practicing to say, what is it like to dance, but keeping my hands in the same position? <laughs> so because that was a skill in itself. Like I, like, I need to be able to dance and type. I bet that's more complicated than most people would think, right? It's quite difficult, yeah. It's like, it's like doing that. <laughs> when you watch those uh, from like the 20s uh, movies where people are sort of putting their hands and making like as if they're sort of pressing against glass. Yes. Kind of impressionists. <laughs> it's a bit like that. You've got to keep your hands in one place and not move them whilst the rest of your body has to be free to dance. That's interesting. So that was actually a skill to learn itself. Can I actually just keep my hands in one position whilst dancing? Yeah. Then is that position the same as the position I would type in? And then can I actually type at the same time? So learning to touch type is one thing. Learning to touch dance type was the <laughs> evolution of that um, and that's all really to be able to help people in a position where people can be more familiar because they can see that the dj is dancing and having a good time and yeah that was cr- critical for me is to be able to to be able to reproduce that but that's just my style there's many other yeah. styles i think they're all very very interesting is there like a um and this again is showing my ignorance here are there like super famous live coders like other people names that you can mention here that somebody can go and check them out and other people in the live coding world be like, oh yeah, yeah, they're it, it what like who is the who is the uh who is the daft punk most of, famous? Of, like, yeah, I don't I don't think there are really any uh live coders who are primarily uh use code as their performance mechanism, their instruments, who are really broken uh the musics of the fame world yet. Right. Um I, I'm hoping that because Sonic Pi is principally aimed towards children that the kids who are learning how to code in schools, making crazy beats, will take the, that, that Sonic Pi into their bedrooms, will play with it there, and by the time they're 18, they'll become the DJs of the future. So I'm, I'm hoping we're just waiting yeah. for them just to sort of pop I, out I and say, agree. hi, look at my crazy music that you couldn't even imagine. Um, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to going to their gigs. I think it's so cool because, you know, even just going back to when I was learning how to play the guitar, and I think so many kids who want to learn an instrument, whatever it might be, whether it's Sonic Pi or whether it's an organ or a guitar or a French horn, I think so many kids are, are, are dealt a disservice because they're asked to play green sleeves and three blind yeah. mice and just this thoroughly uninteresting music. I just stand in front of the school and play uh, some clarinet concerto thing as a solo Ugh. because that was a requirement because i was getting my music lessons paid for by the school right. therefore i had to stand in front of the school and th- i remember going i don't want to do this and i remember hearing someone going, oh god it's sam aaron again playing his clarinet <laughs> it's like no one wanted it no the school didn't want to listen to me play i didn't want to play right. but it had to it had to happen it's, it's a so like annoying insane convention <laughs> and i remember when i was learning that 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 one of the first songs that i ever learned to play on the guitar was Run to the Hills by Iron Maiden, because I was big Iron Maiden. I was just getting into Iron Maiden at the time. And that changed the instrument for me. I was like, wow, I can hear me playing something that sounds like one of like my favorite band right now. That's really cool. And then that's when the fascination kicked off in the same way that I think a lot of kids have got into tech because they've realized they can make their own games. Like Roblox, I think, is amazing for this. Kids are loving being able to make games that they can share with their friends and their friends can play totally. with them on it. Scratch as well. Yeah, and amazing Scratch, yeah. And I can imagine, I can totally imagine this for with Sonic Pi that if, if you've got a kid who's got that kind of interest in, in, in software but also is very creatively minded and very interested in music as well, this is just like, it's a, just a, it's a toolkit of potential fun and creativity, right? So... And I think also it's important to point out that um, 
the in terms of the reach, the, the goal of Sonic Pie is not necessarily to reach out to the kind of individuals who already would find things like sorting algorithms interesting and fun. Right. It's trying to reach out to everybody else. Um, yes. And so I, I think that. that actually you'll find that that there are a lot of people who actually would enjoy the uh, using code to create music that perhaps wouldn't enjoy being a professional uh, uh, programmer. Yeah. And I think that's a really, I mean, that's in the same point. way, the, the, the professional sports people are different from people who dabble in sports. I think we all yeah. should run around and kick a ball about. And I think we should all uh, play some kind of instrument of some kind or sing or hit yeah. a stick on a table. And, and when we figure out what instrument it is, for some people it's the French horn and for some people it's code. Yeah. I think it's amazing. Well, Sam, I, I really appreciate you coming on. This has been a, such a fun discussion for me. I, I'm sure that people listening to this have just been really interested in it as well. Uh, and I imagine that there's many people listening to this who have got kids who are interested in music, who are potentially interested in Sonic Pi. Um, where do they go? Where do you point people towards so they can go find out? Just more? Google Sonic Pi, and Pi is like the mathematical symbol, um, P-I. P-I. And, P-I. Uh, you'll, you'll find where it is. It's free. It runs on Windows, runs on Mac. Uh, it also runs on the Raspberry Pi computer. Actually, the Pi comes from the Raspberry Pi because it was originally developed for the Raspberry Pi. Right. Um, but then since sort of spun out and and, and the goal of Sonic Pi is, is, has always been to lower the barrier to entry for a creative experience to code. And so one of those barriers we've been talking about is making the language simple and easy to use. Another yeah. one is cost. And so if you already have a computer, use that, download it and use that. If you don't, then a Raspberry Pi is a very affordable way of getting started. Wonderful. And also make sure you join the forums that we have. In, we have a really wonderful space, which is full of teachers and musicians and programmers all yeah. sharing their thoughts and ideas. And I think that to find where, any place where you have interdisciplinary sort of uh, cross sharing and polarization of ideas is a wonderful thing. And you know, the Sonic Pi forums is a great place. Yeah, for I took a look at that as well when I was kind of doing a bit of research for this discussion and you're not wrong like it's, it's not just a lot of really interesting discussion but people are super friendly there as well so um, that's so important yeah, I mean, yeah. Set, setting the tone for your community i'm sure as you're very aware is, <laughs> is the fundamental thing it's pretty absolutely. important stuff so yeah wonderful well thank you sam i really appreciate it thank you everybody for listening in to conversations with bacon be sure to go and of course subscribe to the podcast go and share it with your friends go and write as a nice review on the podcast store of your choice And we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone.